Hi, bad scientist. It's Ethan, of course, Hello. and I'm here to tell you that we're doing Contagion, which a lot of people have been writing in the last few weeks that we should do this movie. Um, so here we are. We did it. And if you haven't seen the movie, don't feel pressured to see it, uh, just because it is pretty jarring and very similar to what's going on right it's now. On Hulu. Um, and this episode will still be extraordinarily informational for you. Um, it was for me. I got a ton of my questions answered. But yeah, for for safety for me, I have. I've locked myself in a in a little cage that's meant for a parrot. So I just have like people from Grubhub show up and I open my window and yell at them and then they throw stuff into the room and I catch it with one of those long claw uh, toys and then bring it into my cage. But just in case, I stay in the cage. And yeah, if you're wondering where I go to the bathroom, I also do that in the cage. It's not a big deal. It's a sacrifice that I make to save everyone else. You're welcome. Learn from me and be a parrot in a cage. Also, since you're staying home, my comedy band, The Cooties, has released a video on YouTube for a song called Stay Home. It's us performing the song live in studio, so please go check that out, youtube.com slash The Cooties. Anyway, I hope that you're well and your loved ones are well and that you enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, bad, bad. Science. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, and today we're talking about Contagion, the 2011 film that has been rocketing up the charts as of late because of the coronavirus. And, you know, typically this is a fun show, and we like to goof around, and I think that's going to be an exceptionally challenging task today because of the similarities from the movie to what we're living in real life, which I had no idea were so similar. I had never seen this movie before yesterday. Uh, but let me introduce my guests. I have two wonderful guests. They are the co-hosts of the new Seeker podcast, Surprisingly Brilliant, Greg Foote and Marin Hunsberger. Hello, hello. Hi, guys. How's it going? It's Good, thanks. Going. Chatting to you from a spare room, because that's how we roll these days. Yeah, I'm in my PJs in my living room. <laughs> so we're talking about Contagion. I had never seen this movie. Had, did, had you guys seen this before? Or was this your first time watching it? I hadn't seen it. And it was one of those ones that I really wanted to see. And I, I guess I got a little bit, I was aware that it may freak me out, uh, that it may be a little bit too close to reality, like in the uncanny valley. So I was kind of stoked when you're like, yeah, let's chat about this. I was like, right, I'm doing it. I'm watching it. Oh, totally, dude. I'm such a wimp with scary movies. And I know this technically isn't like a horror movie. It's just like uh, things happen that in real life that are scary. <laughs> I'm one of those people who just like loves escapism in my media. And so I had totally avoided seeing this uh, even before this happened because I was like, that sounds stressful. I'm not going to watch that. And then you said, uh, Ethan, that we were going to watch this for this podcast. And I was like, oh, no, I could not tell you how much I did not want to watch this. And then... I watched it and it's so good. Yeah, it was like I, watching a like a drama documentary, you know, like a quick turnaround TV drama doc off the back of coronavirus. That's yeah, what it felt like I was like watching. The, the people who wrote this, like, did they have a crystal ball? Like the the accuracy with which, like, and this was made in 2011. So like, the accuracy with which this mimics what's happening right now is is totally mind blowing. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, that was definitely the part that like freaked me out the most. I mean, besides the constant suspense that you're in in the movie, it makes you feel, I think, really like paranoid and OCD and stuff. Like you just wish while you're watching that nobody touches each other or touches anything and you just want to clean everything after you watch it. Um, <laughs> well, it but, starts with a cough, like a like a black screen and a cough. And then it's like these close-ups of peanuts and people crawl. touching a hand and you're like, oh, oh no. 
And it's, yeah, yeah, watching that was yeah. so anxious. All the close-ups on stuff that people were touching. I was like, <laughs> yeah, at first, it's funny. At first, I felt like, oh, this is kind of cheap, you know? Like, what? A, it's kind of like a cliche move. Like, we get it, you know? It's close-ups of things. But then, I, it has this effect on you throughout the movie. Like, it really does work. I, I totally turned around about totally. it. And it's, it's a good um, public health move, like, communications move. Like, it's so mm-hmm. hard to get people to think about how many things they touch throughout the day. But I feel like this made me way more conscious of absolutely yeah no a thousand percent and i legitimately enjoyed the movie i thought it was like really well written and the acting was great and i wanted to see what happened next so i i don't know i had i was concerned a little bit going into it for the same reasons you guys were because it's reflecting our ridiculous times but we had people writing in saying they wanted to hear a bad science about this and you know i i love our fans, our bad scientists. And so, yeah, we we should get into it as far as the movie goes and the science behind it, which I know is going to be tough for us to discuss right now. But I think it's important that people have like accurate information, right? Like there's so much out there that is just like rumors and, and stuff that we should probably squash. Well, there's a whole character in this film that Jude Law plays who's all about misinformation yeah. right? and, sp- and kind of anti-science, which again is just so like poignant and resonates with what's going on. The stuff this movie dives into is so, so, so applicable. Also, Jude Law's character, what a cockroach of a man. Ugh, I hated him yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, and, and also just made me re-fall in love with Jude Law, as it happens every time that I watch a Jude Law movie. He's so fantastic. Yeah, same. Same. <laughs> Ditto. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about first like, what we already mentioned, which is these close-ups on stuff that people are touching. They they call them fomites, right? Can you guys touch on that and also maybe compare it to what's happening right now? Like, should we be as concerned as some people were in this movie as far as what, what we're touching and how long the coronavirus can stay on surfaces? Hey, first up, Ethan, what well I'm for saying, can we touch on that? Love it. Uh, second... I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this over to uh, my better podcasting half uh, because she is a microbiologist. Oh, so Marin, oh, do your thing. We're equal podcasting halves, please. And also, I should just preface this whole, you know, all of the stuff I'm gonna say in this podcast with that, like, I am not an infectious disease specialist. I'm not a public health official. So everything that I'm gonna tell you comes from like. Yes, my background as a microbiologist, I'm very familiar with bacteria and viruses. I'm a little more familiar with bacteria than I am with viruses. But anyway, the, all of the stuff that I'm about to say comes from like very carefully backed up research. But I, you know, for any actual advice or actions you should take, you should be listening to the global health organizations and your community health organizations. But with that said, um, fomites, I mean, so, so much of the science in this movie is so good and so accurate and it's awesome. With this fictionalized virus, I think they uh, focus on fomites more than maybe we are currently with coronavirus. The, um, and a lot of the things in 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 the in the movie, I think, do a great job of reflecting what we're experiencing now with coronavirus, which is just so much uncertainty, right? Like during this time where we're exploring what this virus is like, there's a lot about it that we don't know. So how long coronavirus lasts on surfaces is still a matter of ongoing research. And it, it also remains to be seen like you can you can go in the lab uh, and, and do things in the lab as much as you want um, with like how many viral particles are left on what kind of surface after how many hours. But then it's a whole different question whether you can become infected from what is left on that surface. And we don't know the answer to that. So even if we know that like 
viral particles are still detectable on cardboard for up to 24 hours, we don't know if somebody could become sick from those viral particles. So the number itself is kind of arbitrary. Um, and we still don't have great understanding of how that plays into its spread. Yeah. Hey, Marin, because I remember reading a story recently about one of the cruise ships that is, uh, you know, was kind of quarantined offshore and that um, some people found viral DNA 17 days later, which everyone jumped on. They're like, oh, man, that means it lasts on surfaces for 17 days. That's crazy. But that's the point, right? It's not necessarily viable. It's not necessarily that, you know, contact with that virus will lead you to contracting COVID-19. Um, I guess we're just still trying to work it out. We are, right. but also like, I mean, the the main advice and uh, our understanding of the virus, definitely that contact with someone who is sick is your most likely by a long shot mode of transmission. And so that means that like people are getting groceries delivered, right? Or packages delivered. It's like, it's way less a worry of if there's virus on that package or on that grocery bag or on that cardboard box and way more a uh, concern of is the person who immediately touched that before you and like left it on your doorstep are they sick or are they shedding virus right so i think fomites are important to think about and like huge 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 for making you think about washing your hands and never ever 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 touching your face if you haven't washed your hands first but you're way 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 at higher risk of being infected by another person than by an object. Well, that, that brings up two things to me. One, Kate Winslet's character in the movie says we touch our face on average two to 3,000 times per day, which mm. I thought was like a mind-blowing number. Yeah, um, me too. So that's definitely something to consider while you're out and about, you know, just in case you are, I don't know, touching random stuff in the outside world. <laughs> definitely don't touch your face if you can help it. Um, and then the cleaning of these things, like there's a scene where somebody tells her, you know, oh, my wife is making me take off my clothes and wash them immediately and, and shower my, my whole body right when I get home. Like, is she overreacting? And Kate Winslet says, not really. And stop touching mm -hmm. your face, uh, which I thought was great. But we should still, I assume, like I'm going to go get, for example, groceries from a local market here after we're done recording. And, you know, if they give me a box or something and I take it into my apartment, I'm still going to clean that box just in case. And I feel like we can't be overly prepared. So I wanted to ask you if that's a good call or if I'm being ridiculous. And then also I wanted to ask about cleaning products and and what we should be using. So Lawrence Fishburne, who plays um, Dr. Ellis Cheever, he actually said in that press conference, I'd rather the news be that we overreacted than many people lost their lives because we didn't do enough, which is kind right. of what you're saying, right, Ethan? Like, you, yeah. there's, there's no harm in taking these precautions if it makes you feel more comfortable or indeed if it does have an effect. Yeah, I mean, I hate going to the hospital for any reason whatsoever, but I definitely don't yeah, want to go to the too. hospital now. You know, it seems like uh, absolute chaos and the people that should be there are the ones that, that really need to be there. So it's like, if I just have to clean every single thing that comes into my living space, that's worth it, right? Oh, totally. I am 100% on board with that. I don't, I don't think <laughs> Winslet, number one, adore her. And then also, and I'm oh, yeah. so sad about her character, no spoilers, but I was so sad. Yeah, oh, come on. 2011. We can spoil it. Yeah, yeah. Spoil the shit out of it. That's fine. <laughs> that's true. If you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. Um, I do think her her stat, just to go back to the touching our faces thing, that's a little on the high side, um, to be honest. Like there's very, very limited literature actually about how much we touch our faces. Um, two of the most 
sighted studies say 23 times an hour or 16 times an hour, which is like about 500 times a day. And people think we probably do that a little less when we're out in public, just because it's like not cool to touch your face in front of other people. <laughs> like stick your finger up your nose. Yeah. Um, Talk for yourself. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> out on the tube, finger up the nose. Um, but, uh, you know, I think she's she's totally on on the right track there with like, you can't be too careful. I will say, however, the only reason I would disagree with that is in the case of inciting public panic, right? Like you can take all the precautions that right. you feel comfortable taking personally, but then if people start taking it, you know, towards more this public sphere, like fighting over toilet paper in a way that is not necessarily justified, I think then we have to sort of contend with this balance of like, overreacting versus underreacting and on a personal level in the household no you can't be too careful and disinfect away but um on the public level you know there's ramifications for that i was reading that um kate winslet's character dr mears from cdc center for disease control is is essentially based on i think it's carlo urbani who was the first to identify sars in 2003 who like raised the alarm um, same thing ha happened to him that happened to Kate Winslet later in the film. Uh, and, yeah. and also for SARS-CoV-2 with Li Wenliang, you know, he raised the alarm about yeah. how severe this, this infection was. And then he kind of followed the same route as she did. Yeah. You say it, Ethan, you do the spoiler. <laughs> we'll blame you. <laughs> she dies. She totally dies. Um, she dies. How could you do that? We love her and she dies. I mean, most, most of them Also, do. if you're a Gwyneth Paltrow fan, she dies so early. It's crazy. Okay, but also how ironic is it that Gwyneth Paltrow is in this movie about misinformation, <laughs> scientific misinformation? Yep. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that killed yeah. me. That was hilarious. I did a whole um, a whole deep dive on uh, on her Goop Lab series recently. Oh, dude, for, it's for so good. Podcast. You oh, guys man. have to go listen to oh, it. Oh, so man. Good. Yeah. Give us, give us oh. the... Uh, Give us the behind the curtain deep dive bottom line on Goop. Well, I mean, Goop itself, where do you get started with, you know, uh, vaginal steaming, dangerous, uh, jade eggs, dangerous, uh, anything that detoxes you, not a thing, unless your liver's doing it. Um, but then also, you know, d this series that went out on Netflix, you've got, it, it's, it kind of warms you up with the first few episodes, not too bad. There's one on um, sexual pleasure and kind of like female anatomy, which is like really good and, and a thing we should be showing and talking about. And then they just like, boom, hit you with psychic mediums and energy healing and you're wow. just like sorry sorry what infuriating totally infuriating so that's that that goop lab special was an episode of a podcast i do called uh, the best thing since sliced bread uh where we kind of look for the facts behind the fads so if you want to do a deep dive into goop lab go and have a listen great the best thing since brilliant. sliced bread. i think that's like the perfect companion but obviously after you've listened to surprisingly brilliant obviously of course, of course. <laughs> cue up your whole podcast list here you got a lot of work to do <laughs> I mean, while we're all quarantined, this is the best thing that anybody could be doing. Yeah, it's true. I will say, like, I so I thought that Winslet's character, what's her, what's her name in the movie? I totally forget. Mears, Mears. Greg knew. Um, oh, there it is. Doctor Erin yeah. Mears. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, I have all the scientific facts. Do you remember the character name? Um, I'll do the characters and the plot and stuff. I'll ask stupid questions about bats. Perfect. Deal. I have all of the answers. Um, her. Uh, interactions with that other Minnesota public health official I thought was like the perfect encapsulation of kind of what we're talking about right now right with like economic mm -hmm. um and impact versus like people will just die people will die and it's like do you want there to be a terrible economy and uh people have 
died or would you like there to be a terrible economy and less people have died? Like those are the choices that we are facing. Yeah. I mean, the political stuff that's going on right now is like a whole nother podcast in and of itself. And I would just get so mad. I I, I get so angry reading about that stuff. It's like unbelievable. I have to take a break, have tea, watch my girlfriend play Animal Crossing. Like I need to like reset (laughs) completely. Um, it's so That's bad. Perfect. Um, but, but I, sorry to, to backtrack for a second, but I wanted to ask about specific cleaning products because for example, I use those, uh, Myers clean products that they sell at like, you know, Trader Joe's and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but they, they don't say on it 99.9, you know how like a lot of the cleaners say kills 99.9% of germs. And so mm-hmm. I was, I was trying to find more and I was thinking I had, I did a little bit of research on this this morning, but I figured I could maybe just pose the question to you guys. Is that a prerequisite for the stuff that I should buy or are other cleaning products just as good? So the 99.9 or 99% thing is really interesting. And actually one of the episodes of sliced bread was on that as well. And essentially right. that's, that's of the particular uh, strains of viruses or bacteria that they that they have tested and can test. So the ones that they haven't tested for, you don't know what percentage of those are killed. But the thing with uh, the thing that with you know everyone's talking about with coronavirus with the the COVID nineteen. Well, so we should always get this right. SARS CoV two virus causes COVID nineteen disease or illness, right? And so that virus. Corona is am I is that right? Am I like a total boomer in this? Are the ki- are the kids these days call it just calling this Corona? It's like that's a family of viruses, guys. <laughs> is, that, is that right, Lauren? Right. It is. Well, that's coronavirus great. is a family of viruses. I know. I just think that's hilarious. I see people saying Corona, and I'm like, bro, that's a beer. Like, <laughs> yeah, or it's a crown, what which the thing is named oh, after. Anyway, um, sorry. So yeah, continue, but the thing, the thing with that is is that it's got to be sixty percent alcohol content or higher, right? To yep. to kind of be sure that it's going to break apart the virus. Yeah, but also regular soap does the job as well. Um, so so that's why yeah, of course of uh, washing your hands mm-hmm. is so effective and why it's still the preferred method is because um the the actual like molecular chemical structure of soap um breaks apart mm-hmm. SARS cov two. Um, so your your Myers Clean Day works. If you use enough of it and if you then also wash it away, right? If you can like rinse away that residue, um, then that's right. like the most effective combo of, of soap plus, plus water. Um, or as Greg says, 60% alcohol or above. Um, bleach will also work, but that's kind of a little overkill to be honest. And you could make yourself real sick real fast with some bleach fumes. So. I did that once when I was bleaching my, my, uh, my shower. And I was in there, I was like, oh, this is looking spotless. I'm so chuffed. And I was just like, no, no, this is bad. Like ran to the window. That does not feel good. I was like, I'm a scientist. Why have I just done this to myself? (laughs) I was going to say, Greg, your specialty is chemistry. (laughs) Whoops. You put blinders on. You got too excited about having a clean shower. Went overboard. Hey. That's a a level of satisfaction, that is, when you see those tiles start to shine up. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the best. I've done good. That's worth dying over. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, but just to clarify, th- are you saying that we could like if someone because and this is another point of contention for me, but like people are just buying cleaning products and paper towels and toilet paper like in droves, so there's like none left in a lot of places. So if people just have soap and water, is that plenty effective? Should they just be using that on their surfaces at home? Yeah, soap and water. Soap and water is great. Soap and water and and. Here's a here's a problem I think that gets confusing is like soap and water works for our bodies because we can 
lather for the appropriate amount of time. So at least 20 seconds, ideally 30 to 40, um, and then rinse away, right? Whereas it's kind of hard to do that to like your kitchen counter, right? Like, are you going to bring in your garden hose and like scrub, 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 scrub for 30 seconds and then rinse away? Um, I think it's easier for people to be like, oh, I just doused it in alcohol and then it's fine. Whereas, you know, scrubbing with soap and water for the appropriate amount of time in the adequate amount and uh, then wiping away is is just as effective. Got you. Okay. So skipping a nice skip hop back to the movie here for a second. <laughs> Beth, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's character, uh, not only dies very quickly, but she like has seizures and is like foaming at the mouth and dies in a, let's say, I don't know. I'm not going to even... Dramatic fashion? Yeah, let's say let's say traumatic fashion. And they say that they think it could be encephalitis. So I just wanted to know if that was accurate. And then also Lawrence Fishburne's character says it's too cold for encephalitis. And I know that there's been like um, some arguments as far as is is temperature a factor with COVID-19 or coronavirus. So can you guys kind of squash that as well? I can jump on the first bit. So obviously the virus in this film is fictional. It's made up. They call it MEV1. But it is based on Apparently, it's based on the Nipah virus, um, which has had outbreaks in uh, India and Bangladesh and Malaysia. And one of the things that does cause is encephalitis or, or, or swelling of the brain. So this this film is inspired by SARS and inspired by Nipah uh, and, and kind of takes quite closely from the paths that they uh, have taken, um, which I think is really interesting. And it, and it, and it ties up quite a lot with um, COVID-19, but, but in the same way, it ties up not a lot like in in other ways which i'm sure we'll kind of get into uh like mev1 quick you quickly get symptoms whereas sars-cov2 takes time etc etc so um that's that's the kind of reason why i think they go into encephalitis and the swelling of the brain and that's why when they suddenly uh you cut from gwyneth paltrow on the floor doing her seizure to like on the autopsy slab with her head cut open as they peel back her skin and you're just like And that's when the guy's like, contact everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I love that scene. A highly dramatic movie moment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That part gets me every time. Call everyone. Speed dial the world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How am I going to do that? It's going to take me so long, doctor. So true. Um, I think, you know, what's really interesting about the, the encephalitis issue is that there are lots of viruses that can cause encephalitis. And it's interesting because um, I actually kind of didn't know this even before looking up this question, but viruses like the cold and flu can cause very mild encephalitis. And that might be why, why you get like a fever or a headache when you have a cold or just the regular seasonal mm. flu. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, chill. Mm. Our brains are just swelling. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> awesome. Is that the same as what happens with a hangover? Oh no, that's kind of that's kind of dehydration, isn't it? I guess it's I the opposite. So. I think so. I think it's the opposite. But um, mm. there are some that can cause, you know, seizure-inducing or life-threatening viral encephalitis. Um, some of those are uh, herpes can actually cause that if it goes untreated for a really long time. And then I think why Fishburne says it's too cold for encephalitis. This is the only thing that makes sense is that there are mosquito-borne diseases like West Nile virus, yellow fever, dengue fever, other mosquito-borne diseases that can really commonly cause uh, viral encephalitis that can be very serious. So 
I feel like that's the only reason why he would say it's too cold for encephalitis is because maybe that's one of the more common reasons behind a, a more serious case of viral encephalitis. And it would be like too cold for mosquitoes in the winter in Minnesota. Maybe, I think. Okay, got you. And is, and is all the, the temperature um, myths myths about about coronavirus about COVID-19 like are you yeah, know is there any yeah, there are I don't know evidence to that okay no no I no to make sure because I've heard some stuff know, about it but. no I think that's one of those ones too where it's like we just don't know enough about it you know we uh, there's a reason why we say flu season and it's because there is a seasonal uptick in influenza uh cases but we're to be honest still unsure why that happens and um, it may be that viral particles transmit more easily in dry air than in humid air. It may be because people are packed together more closely in density inside during the winter months. Like those are our leading mm. hypotheses right now about why there's a flu season in the winter. Um, but as far as there being a, a coronavirus season, um, there's no evidence to support that this is going to go away. Okay, I, I told you, Ethan. I said, I said, Marin's, Marin's your human. She's your gal for the uh, for the <laughs> for the microbe for, fun. Thanks for letting me talk about this, guys. This is, I mean, I and I oh, have to what? say again, like it's. I'm going to say it's fun. Obviously, I'm I'm not excited that people are sick, but like talking about microbes is the best right. thing you could ever ask me to do. <laughs> So whenever a story came up about kind of microbiology in Surprisingly Brilliant, you'd just see kind of Marin's like eyes just like light up. And she would just, she would just go uh, for it. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I infect yeah. Greg with a lot of hypothetical diseases on our podcast. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was my job to do the bad puns. <laughs> we can take turns. Um, coming for sure. you. Right. That's great. You're next. <laughs> I'm sure I'll do one by accident. It's just natural for me. I'm automatically annoying. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So I had a question here about the time it takes, because this in the movie, it's like super fast, right? That people get Ooh. sick and see the symptoms and then get really sick. And I, I've heard some different reporting as far as how long it takes to see the symptoms of coronavirus. And and should I keep saying coronavirus? Now you guys have me doubting that shit. Like, should no, I be calling no, it COVID-19 every man, time I speak about it? Every, everybody's saying coronavirus. I think we should just go with the, the tenor of the times, Greg. We should just get on board with the, with the lingo. Right. As long as everybody Well, yeah, knows. I mean, if we're saying like <laughs> SARS-CoV-2 every time, it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? I know. And I feel like people are going to be like, wait, which one is that? Yeah, but it sounds accurate. It sounds good. Well, okay, so yeah, I mean, like, if I if somebody starts to have symptoms, does that mean that they like just came into contact with the virus the, the day before? Or was that something that happened two weeks prior? It takes some time. So the thing is in the film, the MEV1 kind of it looks like it hits real quick. Like you get infected and, and you're symptomatic um, really quickly, like in a couple of days. But yeah, for SARS-CoV-2, it's it's taken. What's the current thing? We we were saying like what five to seven days or something, Marin. What's what's the latest? I mean, the World Health Organization still says two to fourteen. So there's a wow. real wide range, big range, there, my dude. Yeah, and that's because I mean that's one of the really tough things about communicating during a pandemic is that obviously like everybody's body is different. Everybody's immune system is totally different. Everybody's health context and their immune system and their nutritional background and how much sleep they're getting is totally different. And so people's bodies are going to manifest with the disease completely differently. And that's why we have such a range. Of yeah. yeah. So I'm speaking about like, like you were saying, can you be too careful? And the answer being no, it's like, I, 
have been telling my whole family, literally, and all of my friends, we should all just be acting as if we are infected. So even if you're not sick, act as if you could be because of that incubation period. You could for 14 days be sick and not know it and be shedding virus, right? Like how many people are you going to come into contact with in those 14 days if you're just going about your normal life? So many! So uh, my my best advice is literally to everyone, just act as if you already have it and behave accordingly. Yes, great, great advice there, Marin. I completely agree with you and it makes me feel so good and validated to to hear you say (laughs) the same thing because, you know, especially for two weeks, I mean if you could have it and not show symptoms, then why not, you know, just in case, protect everyone around you and pretend like you have it. That's the thing. You've got to be really selfless in this situation, right? You've got to think about those people. Yeah. And 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 yeah. for those of us who are able to, right, for those of us who have the privilege to, like all of us, like us lucky that we can work from home, like our whole job can be remote for the most part. And so for those of us who can do that and who can behave that way, we have to do it for everybody else who may not be. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, okay, so I wanted to also talk about the mutation uh, aspect of this because in the movie, Yay. I don't know, maybe you guys were able to like hone in on it more than me, but they talked about that it's mutating, which affects the R not. I want to talk about that uh, in a second, but then they kind of just like left it. There wasn't a lot of uh, follow through yeah, about the ME1. It seemed like that was going to be like a super dramatic turning point, and then they it was just kind of like, oh. We're never coming back to that again. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I was a little confused. It was quite a long way in. I think that was like day 20 or 21 or something when they're like, yeah, it's mutated and the R0 has changed. And, and and then they quickly segued into how they're making a vaccine and how the first method didn't work on when they were using a dead virus. So they're going to use a live virus. And, and I was just like, whoa, 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 backtrack, backtrack. Yeah. Yeah, the science gets a little heavy. Um, but I will say like when... Winslet's character is talking about the R not. Everything she says is one hundred correct. Like she, that science, the, whoever nice. they had consulting on this movie was was bang on because this that whole discussion about like how many people can get infected from the one person infected um are super is like super 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 accurate. And the whole, I mean, again, we're coming back to this idea of uncertainty, like. The R not we we actually don't know an R not of an uh, outbreak for certain until the outbreak is over. Um, same thing for mortality rates. Wow. Like you can't be able to say that until you are looking back at all of the data um, in hindsight, basically, so that you can see see all the numbers in front of you and see how it went. Because as we go, like we don't know, as we're saying, like how long people are infected before they start exhibiting symptoms. We still don't know. Um, with how many? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. There's still so much unknown that the R naught is still in lots of flux. But we think for, yeah. for coronavirus, it's between one and a half and three and a half. Again, that's a huge range, right? Like it, there's a lot of uncertainty there. The best modeling we have, it's from the Imperial College London actually, says that the R naught is between 1.5 and 3.5. And that is dependent on like a billion different factors, like the infectious period, which is as yet unknown. Um, how many people are are like asymptomatic carriers? Don't know that. Um, so all of that, mm. all that jazz. So we should say for anyone who's listening who hasn't yet watched the film or or come across this R naught term, it's essentially for every sick person, how many other people do they on average infect? Yeah. And right. I kind of feel that even though I've said that clarification, most people listening will now have heard about it, and that's what I find so interesting about this this movie. So in 2011, when it came out. Mm. 
you've got these big sections where where these scientists are talking in you know quite complex scientific terminology um but nowadays because of the current coronavirus situation um people have heard lots of this vocabulary on the news or seen it on twitter or whatever so it's just this example of of kind of the rate of adjustment mm. by us to this totally new way of living to this kind of new normal where these words are in our kind of world and we're now mm. used to dealing with this sort of information so i think anyone watching it now in this kind of uh, resurgence of contagion this film uh are going to be watching it in a completely different way because they're going to understand a lot more no, so true. So yeah. true. Yeah, that's definitely something uh, the movie does well, kind of just to in inform you in a way that's also suspenseful and entertaining. I mean, but sorry, backtracking a second, the, the mutation thing, because there has been some reports about Corona mutating. How serious is that? And do we know for a fact that it is? And are the mutations more dangerous? What's the, do we know anything about that? Or is it still uh, dude, unknown? Have I, have I got some awesome information for you? Okay. So first of all, the way that this buckle in, the way that this um, virus in the, the movie Contagion mutates is it, it, not super true to life. I would say this is the one issue that I ha would take with this movie if I had to pick one. And also, I feel like it kind of slots into our complaint about it in terms of the plot of the movie, right? Like you think it's going to be this this big issue because they they say it's like morphed and now the mortality rate is higher and it's killing way more people than that is never they never come back to that. And that is an issue plot wise, but also an issue scientifically because we don't often see that with a virus. We don't often see that it mutates dramatically to become more deadly because, as we're seeing now, like. Coronavirus is easily spreading from person to person. The virus doesn't have a lot of pressure to change, right? To, um, there's, there's, if we're talking about um, like impetus or mutation, uh, like adaptive mutation, there's not a big reason that we would that the virus would need to mutate to become more potent or become more infectious. Um, so it doesn't really have like a reason if we're anthropomorphizing here. And then also. Coronavirus is an RNA uh, virus, and that's because it's different from a DNA virus. And because it's an RNA virus, basically that just means that it's like really bad at proofreading its own genetic copying mechanism. So it gets stuff wrong a lot, right? And that's what we call antigenic drift is just like an accidental mutation that means that like, yeah, its genes are different now, but it doesn't um, affect actual like activity uh, very much. So we are seeing some mutations um, in coronavirus from population to population or from cluster to cluster, right? They talk about clusters in the movie, but so far yeah. um, it has not changed the mechanism of the virus at all. What's been cool about it is that we can now use genetic sequencing to track the epidemic. So it's kind of like this genetics first approach to epidemiology that we're only seeing us be able to do in like the last five years because genetic sequencing technology has gotten so much faster and cheaper and easier to use. And so it's this whole new dimension of epidemiology that's really helping us track where the virus is going and how it's spreading. So it's helping us understand it more. But we are seeing mutation, yes, confirmed, but it's not dangerous and will likely not affect the way we approach a treatment. My, my one other quibble with the movie is that they have this huge mutation event and then they just go on developing a vaccine anyway. And it's like, if you had a virus that mutated right. that quickly and that dramatically and with that severe a consequence, that would have huge implications for developing a vaccine that was effective. Because if you 
have uh, the if the virus is changing, the vaccine you develop isn't going to be effective against the different strains. So that was kind of like the one moment where it's like, wait a second, now we have a vaccine and it works and it's fine. That doesn't seem right <laughs> yeah it was like only a week later where they actually uh you know suddenly were like oh what it looks like one of these vaccines might work like, what yeah exactly yeah. and and i wanted to ask about vaccines in general in in the movie there's a character named dr suspin who grows the virus and they say that's the first step to finding a cure or a vaccine so have we done that should we do that and i assume i mean this is probably the dumbest question i'll ask but there is no like vaccine or or treatment currently is that correct yeah so so the first we have um grown the virus outside so for the very first time the virus was grown outside of china was in the early weeks of february 2020 so we have grown it it's been grown in labs um all over the country i think bsl4 so bsl they mentioned that in the movie it stands for biosafety level and in the states it's bsl1 through 4 and 4 is where you do like the most um dangerous uh dangerous um, pathogens is that it's like a safety level past which you you have to deal with things like Ebola or Marburg or I think SARS COV uh, two or coronavirus we're doing in three and four um, I'd have to check on that but it's definitely up there way up there in the in the treating it with a lot of caution and we're growing it we have grown it and it definitely is the first step towards developing a vaccine you have to they actually say this exactly right in the movie. You have to grow a ton of the virus in living cells so that you can harvest those like um, little anti antibodies or antigens so that you can put them in a vaccine that would then tell your body, this is what this is. Now fight it and get it out. Um, so that is correct. And this and, timeline. Yeah. Oh, sorry. This timeline actually matched pretty well with the film. I was having a look at this, like the gap between the publication of the RNA genome mm -hmm. and when researchers grew the virus for... SARS-CoV-2 was pretty much the same as what it is in this film for MEV1. That's pretty cool. And you are correct, Ethan, that we there is no vaccine and no treatment. And I just want to take a minute here to designate or to, to delineate between a vaccine and a quote-unquote cure or treatment, because a vaccine is preventative, right? It's prophylactic. Like you would need to take it before you get sick to make sure that you don't get sick. And a treatment or a mm. cure, and I, I don't really like the word cure just because I, I think it's like too, uh, I don't know, like totalitarian. It's too uh, yeah, catch-all. It's too all-encompassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but a treatment yeah. would be something that you take after you get sick to make it better. So we have neither of those at the moment. Um, terrifying. So yeah, feels good. Feels good. Feels good. Feels good. Feels good. I have a bunch more questions, but I'm gonna try and prioritize here because I know we're running low on time. Um, in the movie, they talk about how the disease MEV1 comes from like a bat and a pig uh, tag teaming, working together, it seems. And, and then mm -hmm. at the end, they actually show the origin story, I guess, which is like a bat eating something and then dropping it and then like a pig eats it, I guess. And then they make the pig in a restaurant and then it's over. You know, basically everybody's touching each other and, and the, the disease is everywhere. So I wanted to ask first, like, does that make sense? And and if so, because I know that, you know, this started with some sort of bat story. I don't know the exact story. I don't know if we know how it how it started, but why, what is the deal with these bats? I guess is my first question is like, should we just end all bats? They're, cause they're scary <laughs> already. They're already really scary to me. So, and now they give us viruses that oh, kills thousands that. of people. That's Ethan, not cool. I think they're so cute. 
cute. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say they're cute. They're wrinkly, weird things with horrible I wings. Like I'm with that. I'm with Ace Ventura, Pet Detective on this I one. They're scary. Bat. I am the yeah. pro bat voice in this. Not because I mean, like they are. I think the question, why are bats so full of virus, is a very, uh, very relevant and very important question. But no, we should not get rid of all that. <laughs> Great. I can right. jump in on the first. Yeah, go bit. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go. So. I mentioned that kind of this story in Contagion is kind of the virus is based on the Nipah virus. Um, and that came from a fruit bat eating some mango over an enclosure of pigs. And then it dropped a bit of that mango uh, with its saliva on it, with its uh, genetic makeup on it, into the kind of pig pen and the pigs ate it. And that was what caused what they call crossover, but it's actually called spillover. And that that's actually kind of, that was, that was the mechanism for Nipah because mm. as Marin kind of touched on, bats contain or can be infected by all sorts of viruses, but not be symptomatic. And that can lead to this kind of spillover event because they're what they're what's known as uh, zoonotic infections, where where it crosses then eventually from an animal to us. So yeah, we then eat the pig. Or actually, I, this was a question I wanted to ask you, Marin. Right in the last scene, you kind of see that is it is it that Gwyneth Paltrow ate the pig, the pork when it was cooked, or was it that the chef didn't wash his hands when handling it? Reaching into that pig's mouth. You remember, there's that whole like. Close, gross, right. close up on like the chef stuffing his totally ungloved fingers into the pig's mouth to prepare it to be cooked and then just wipes his hands on his aprons and goes out in onto the casino floor and holds Gwyneth Paltrow's hand and it's like that and then of course like Gwyneth you know touches her face or something like that and that's how it starts so it's not mm. a it's not like um an entero it's not uh, a cooked thing. virus no it's not like a we ingested it we ate it because that would denature yeah, I guess that would denature it, right, or whatever. Yeah. Right, okay. So it's so it's the like raw handling the uncooked egg. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. just you know, this this is I, I understand that bats are scary, and this idea that bats are like these huge what we call reservoirs for so many diseases that end up being really dangerous to us. But they are completely fascinating, and and one of the reasons, like Greg mentioned, they have so many viruses in them, and one of the reasons we think that that is is because they they live so close together right there are these huge colonies of bats just hanging you know totally packed together and viruses really love that because they can eat very easily travel from organism to organism so that may be one reason why they're such a diverse host for viruses but then also one of the reasons that they're not affected by them why they don't why those viruses don't make bats sick is because bats are the only flying mammal, right? So they have a very unique immune system. They have a very unique physiology. And scientists are pretty sure that this is the reason that they don't get sick. It's because they can fly. Um, something to do with their genetics that allows them to use their energy in this way to, to fly um, is also the, the reason that they don't mm. get sick or die from a lot of these diseases. And the reason we shouldn't get rid of bats, this will be my last, that fact is they're super, super, super important for the ecosystem. Like we talk about mosquitoes, right? Mosquitoes spread a lot of diseases. We could get rid of mosquitoes, no problem. Fuck the mosquitoes, dude. The bats, we need the bats for all kinds of ecosystem <laughs> dynamics. So that's what I'll all say right, about so that. So new pitch, let's not do a mass genocide of bats. Okay, fine. You like bats. But <laughs> what if we, you know, build them uh, like 12 acre ranches so that like, you know, they have a lot of space <laughs> 
and they won't be they all mashed up together. Then. I put a roof <laughs> on that they they can like transfer it so far because of the flying again it all comes back to the flying take their wings off giant so- bowl turned upside down mile high yeah two <laughs> mile wide a big dome bat, bat dome it sounds cool bat dome oh sell the film rights the you know what dome. is really cool though is that i have a lot of really cool um virologist friends and um veterinary science friends whose job it is to go and sample bat populations. Um, one of my friends is in Uganda right now. She's sampling bat populations to discover novel viruses so that we can be aware of them before they become contagious and affect the human population. So there are some really cool people out there doing some really cool things about this, I will say. <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate them uh, for doing that work. I appreciate all the CDC workers, the doctor, everybody that's that's working to try and uh, help us out right now. Thank you so much. I hope that this podcast helps calm people down or answer some of their questions. If you're listening and you have more questions, feel free to you know write to us, um, badscienceatseeker.com. And you know maybe I can even you know uh, call you guys up and ask you specific questions or email you. I was people... waiting. I was waiting to say you're totally then going to just press full forward. And write like <laughs> Marin and just like autocomplete yep. send. Done. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody bother Marin about it. Uh, leave me alone. I'm busy. Um, no, no. I I'm will happy help to answer. be bothered. I'm happy to be bothered. <laughs> okay, great. And and before we go, uh, tell us a little bit about Surprisingly Brilliant. I, I know about the podcast and I'm very excited about it, but I think mo- most people might not know yet. Essentially, Mara and I have been collecting uh, some of the most most shocking and inspiring and downright bizarre stories from science history. So, um, we, you know, we're covering loads of really amazing people and amazing inventions, but stuff that you probably won't have heard of before. So, uh, do you know, Ethan, that the first computer bug was a real moth? I did not know that. Or that uh, since we're talking about outbreaks, there's some self-experimentation that happened with a an American plague in the 1700s where a scientist dropped black vomit in his eyes to test its contagion. What the hell yep. is black vomit? Well, you'll you have don't to listen know. to find out, I guess. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, and actually, favorite... what ties in with this... God, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, buddy, you go. I was just going to say my favorite thing about it is that every episode, um, one of us has prepared the story and the other person doesn't know what the story is going to be. So uh, oh, like great. for the first episode, I get to tell Greg a story that he's never heard before. Um, and that's that's my favorite part about it is getting to surprise Greg. Yeah, yeah. That first step's called "There Be Dragons," uh, and that's uh, that's a really cool one. And it actually ties into this. Uh, you know what I've been chatting about? There's there's one about. Um, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but there's one about uh, somebody who a chef who essentially unknowingly killed multiple people in New York with her cooking, uh, but but she what? wasn't ill. Um, there's one about kind of the spread of a disease around the world and how you can track it, but you've kind of got that whole spread to thank for your gin and tonic. Uh, it's just loads of really awesome stories. It was it was so much fun to make. Awesome. Well, I hope everybody tunes in. Surprisingly brilliant anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, Greg and Marin, thank you so much for, for joining me. I really think this was uh, somehow fun and yet terrifying at the same time. <laughs> Pleasure. Love the pod. Great to be on it. Thanks, Ethan. Oh. I know. I love, love, love this podcast. Thanks for having us on it. And it was awesome to watch this movie. And I thought it brought up a lot of really important things to talk about that are super relevant to now. And if anybody has any more questions about it, feel free to get in touch with me on social media. I am at 
Marin B on Instagram, at Marin Huntsberger on Twitter, and Marin Huntsberger on YouTube, etc. What a legend. See? I'm, I'm just at Greg Foot on all of them, but I won't be able to give you the answers. I'll just uh, forward them to Marin. Oh, Greg. No, you did great stuff. You know lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you can ease people uh, off their ledges, you know? You can uh, tell them to calm down. That's the easy. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm all about the chemistry, the physics, um, bit of the history of science. That's kind of my bag. Uh, I just love just kind of watching people like Marin nerd out about this sort of stuff. It's a good time to be a microbiologist. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a hot commodity right now, Marin. Um, and and yeah, I'm a huge uh, history guy. I know we like never talk about history on this show because it's all science based, but that's why I'm like super psyched up about your pod because it's a, a such a great combination of history and science. So oh, yes, yeah, big time, big time fan. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk next time where I'm sure uh, some other infectious disease will take over the world and we'll supply people with some information. Uh, but until then, uh, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and. Have a good week. We're here for you. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. And the executive produced R not number is Brett Kushner. And our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. I love you. Don't tell my girlfriend. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadSciencePod.com. That's BadSciencePod.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>